The title of my message this morning is Free to Serve. Free to Serve. And I'd invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. We're going to be reading the first 17 verses. And the version I'm reading from this morning is the NIV. I believe for most of you that's what we have. And also in the the Pew Bibles, most of them are NIV. John chapter 13. If you don't know where the Gospel of John is, um, it's about three ways, three quarters way through the Bible. In the New Testament, it's the fourth Gospel. So it's somewhere closer to the end. It's the fourth of the Gospels in order. And we're reading chapter 13, verses 1 through 17, entitled, Jesus Washes His Disciples' Feet. Verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for Him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under His power and that He had come from God and that He was returning to God. So He got up from the meal, took off His outer clothing and wrapped a towel around His waist. After that, He poured water into a basin and began to wash His disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around Him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not every one of you was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place and asked, do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set for you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Let's pray. Father, once again, we thank you for your word. Your word is a a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We're grateful, Lord, that you've given us the gift of your word. It is your word that washes us. It is your word that cleanses us. It's your word that cleans us up and renews us, makes us fresh once again. 
We thank you for the precious gift of your word. We pray, Lord, that as we turn to your word this morning, that you would teach us, that you would show us your example, and that it would shape our hearts and work in us in such a way that we would be encouraged to follow you in a deeper way this morning. For those here who are facing difficult situations, may your word bring comfort and may it bring a sense of your presence, knowing that, uh, Lord, we find you in the midst of your teaching. We find you in the midst of this prayer. We thank you for your loving presence towards us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What comes to mind when you hear the word insecurity? Google uh, defines insecurity as uncertainty or anxiety about oneself, lack of confidence. Some of the synonyms also include lack of confidence, self-doubt, diffidence, and inhibition. As human beings and in our human condition, insecurities are common. And we can be insecure over a wide spectrum of things and different degrees of insecurity can affect us all. I think all of us, at one point or another, have areas in our lives where we feel less than adequate. Especially with the continual barrage of seeing the opulent and successful and seemingly perfect lives of the rich and famous. And yet even them, we see all kinds of trouble happening as a result of insecurity. But what is the danger of insecurity? Is it just impotent in our lives and having no effect? Or is there something that we need to pay attention to? How does insecurity affect our lives? And as Christians in particular, how does insecurity affect our fellowship with one another in our service to one another, in our service to Christ? When we come to a point that we recognize insecurity in our lives, how do we deal with it? How do we go about combating it? Do we just maybe try to gloss over it? Do we try to minimize it? Or do we have to maybe take a more serious look at it and ask for the Lord's help in working through the insecurities we find ourselves having? As we look at the Word of God this morning, we will see a picture of Jesus who is completely secure in Himself. And we discover that Just as he was secured in his identity, that security was displayed to us in humility. My first point this morning is that we read in in the first verse that his hour had come. It says this, it was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. In John's gospel, we have arrived at the beginning of what is known as the farewell discourse. I believe there's 
maybe three major discourses in John's Gospel, and this is the third one, third and final farewell discourse. It's really the second half, essentially, of John's Gospel. And we notice in this first verse of chapter 13 a shift that has taken place by the words that read, His hour had come. You see, up until this point in the Gospel of John, there are so many instances where Jesus is saying something to the effect of, my time has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. We know that even from the uh, chapter 2, uh, where I, Jesus is found at the, the wedding in Cana, where he says uh, to Mary, his, his, his mother, why do you involve me? My time is not yet. When his brothers encourage him to go up to the festival and make a public declaration of who he is, he says to them, your time is always now, but my time is not yet come. And so we see that over and over and over, except for here in chapter 13, it is now shifted and Jesus has said, folks, the time is now. Our insecurities oftentimes can cause us to operate outside of God's perfect timing. We rush into things. We rush out of things. All because we are attempting in some way or another, to, to, to save face. In order that our image is upheld in the sight of others, we endeavor to control the outcomes of situations and circumstances. And sometimes that causes us to get ahead of what God's doing. It causes us to have timing that isn't really the timing of the Lord. It says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation... By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. A question comes to mind, and that is, how does the Holy Spirit operate in the life of the believer? If I was to ask you today, how is God, how does God speak to you? First of all, does God speak to you? Second of all, how does He speak to you? Well, I would say that there's probably several ways and we could, we could elaborate on this discussion quite a bit, but just for sake of time, we'll, we'll just bring it down to three main ways that God speaks to us. Number one is through His Word. God will never speak to you anything that's contrary to the Word that He's already established. This is the Word of the living God and it is the primary way in which God speaks to you. So many times we can say, God, I just want to hear what you have to say. God would say, I already wrote it down. It's right here. Now, I do not want to minimize the role of prayer and God giving us impressions and speaking to us directly in our hearts, but oftentimes those things can be interpreted differently and we always still need to line it up to the authority of Scripture. Oftentimes people will come to me and say, you know, I, I feel God is telling me this. I say, well, show it to me in the Word of God that every mad be established on two or three witnesses. What's another way that God speaks to us? Maybe the third way. That's through others. I'm so thankful for the community of faith. I'm so thankful for the family of believers who God uses to speak into our lives. We all have blind spots. We all have things in our lives that because it's us and we're in the situation, sometimes we can't see. How many of you are very good at pointing out what other people need to know? Sometimes I find myself there. But I need you. I need you. And we need each other. 
to point out things to help us on our in our walk with Christ, to confirm what God is speaking to us, to speak the word to us. Even as a church, if you're wondering how that breaks down, the pastor may have a great idea. He may have heard from God. He may have the scriptures. But we still go before the leadership team and we present them because we believe that the Spirit of God speaks to these men as well. We believe that these men that are behind me are called to function as, as stewards of the ministry here at Snowden. And that means that we, it's more important that we are united with items and things that we bring to the table rather than just having a lone ranger go off and try to accomplish things on their own. So we have levels of authority. And what that means is we are submitted to one another as the Scriptures encourage us to. That's very important. It's very important that as believers, we are hearing from God and that we're not anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and petition, we make our requests known. We get counsel. It says that there's wisdom in the multitude of counselors. And you may feel God has spoken to you today. Speak to someone. Speak to someone who you believe hears from God. Someone who is a person of prayer. Someone who is a person of the Word. Get in touch with them and get their thoughts and feedback. Additionally, uh, in this opening verse, uh, I wanted to mention also that Jesus specifically, uh, well, it says here of Jesus that he loved his own. He loved them to the end. In another version, it says he showed them the full extent of his love. Wow. What we're about to read here in some form is Jesus showing us the full extent of his love. Something about What's taking place in this passage has to do with God expressing how much He loved them and how much He loves us. It's very difficult to truly love people when the concerns of our own insecurities take center stage. I'm not saying it's impossible. There's people who do have insecurities, who are wrestling with different things, and yet... They put their own issues aside in order to love people. And that takes great strength. But when the insecurities that we deal with are just everything that fills our mind and we're just constantly focused on that, it's very difficult to love others. Truly. And so I know that God wants us to love others. I know from the Word of God that it says we need to love with the love of the Lord. And I believe in order for that to happen... It's our prayer this morning that God would speak to us about the insecurities we face and that He'd begin to reveal them and to work on them. Point number two is a subject talking about identity. It says in verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under His power and that He had come from God and was returning to God. This verse speaks of Jesus being fully aware of the authority that His Father had given Him. He knew exactly who he was, where he had come from, and where he was returning and who he was returning to. And I want to encourage you this morning by saying, in order to accomplish God's purpose for your life, knowing your true identity is critical. Our thoughts, our actions, and as a result of thoughts and actions, our outcomes are all based on who we believe ourselves to be. All of us have acquaintances and friends. Have you ever encountered a situation where maybe a friend acted or, or said something 
Maybe a relative did or said something that really just wasn't in line with who they are. Maybe you've done that. And you've had to realize that and maybe make some apologies. I know I have. And the words are, are something like this. I, I'm just sorry about saying that. That just wasn't me. That just wasn't in keeping with who I really am. It didn't come out right. Please forgive me. Maybe you've been in that situation before or had similar circumstances where you've seen people operate outside of their true identity. And what I want to say is that if we're going to achieve God's purpose, if we're going to allow God to work in us and through us, we need to know who we really are as children of God. That's really important. First Peter 2.9 reads, But you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Do you see the twofold aspect of that verse? This is who you are, so that you may declare the wonders of our God. Unless we're settled in who we are, in our identity, our true identity as children of God, how can we declare this life out from the darkness? In order to fulfill God's purpose, we have to be settled in the fact that we are God's special possession. That we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Do you feel like a holy nation this morning? And there's many verses like this. One of them is found in the book of Corinthians, where it talks about, know ye not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. If we captured the idea this morning that we are the very temple of the Holy Spirit, how would our actions fall into line? How would our thoughts fall into line with that? How would the purpose of God be achieved in our lives if we understood our true identity? Just take a message for me. It's for me. Tell them I'm busy. If anyone has another cell phone, if you could just throw it against the wall, we'll clean the mess later. Point number three is so. And this really is attached to the previous verse. Jesus knows exactly who he is. In verse four it says so. So what? He knew his authority. He knew that he came from God. He knew that he was heading to God. And because of being secure in his identity, it says this in verse 4, So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that he had wrapped around them. Because Jesus knew who he was, because he knew he came from God, because he knew he was returning to God, because he knew that all authority in heaven and earth had been appointed to him, God having put all things under his power, so now he acted, so now he served, so now he humbled himself to wash the feet of the disciples, a job that was given to the lowest of servants. Foot washings were common in that day. Because a lot of people were traveling by foot. The roads were often uh, very dirty, dusty, a lot of animal stuff on there. And when you come into someone's house and you were going to have a meal, the first thing they would do is they would have a servant 
But it wouldn't be any servant. It would be the lowest servant. Sometimes uh, for the for the Hebrew community at the time, it wouldn't even be another Israelite. It wouldn't be a Jewish um, or Hebrew uh, servant in the house. It would be even something that wasn't even fit for, for Jews. That's how low they considered it at the time. Okay? And it was just customary that this servant would come and provide water so that your feet could be washed and they'd be cleansed and then you'd sit down and have the meal. As followers of Christ, we look to Jesus' example. When we know who we truly are in Christ, we are free to serve others. When we truly know who we are in the Lord, there is no job, no act of service that is beneath us. I read a quote this week that uh, was interesting. It's fitting. It says, if serving is beneath you, then leadership is beyond you. That's very true. Let's be real for a moment. Elevating yourself in front of others only demonstrates your insecurity. In our relationships with each other, Having the same mindset, mindset as, as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I've said this before. I want to say it again. If we truly capture that we have been adopted into God's family, if we really understand that we are His children, that security of our identity will free us to serve anyone. It will free us to love anyone. And the reason is because our identity is no longer found in our service or in what we do in our relationship to others, but our our identity is found only in our relationship to Him. At this point in our text this morning, the disciples still didn't understand. And in verse 7, Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Here Peter is objecting to Jesus washing his feet. Peter, along with the other disciples, although they could appreciate the humble act of Jesus, they still did not fully grasp all that was to happen to their Lord on the cross. They still did not get the understanding that the kingdom... That in the kingdom of God, the way up is the way down. That those who humble themselves are those whom the Lord exalts. James 4.10 reads, Humble yourself before the Lord, and He will lift you up. In the kingdom of God, the way up is the way down. When we understand our true identity, we're free to serve. Closing out this message, and before we enter into a time of the Lord's table, I'd like to invite Brother Ed Moreno to come.
In a moment, he's going to be blessing us with some special music. And also, Jonathan, if you'd come to the piano. I'd also now like to give you a visual representation of what Christ has done for us. Foot washing, as I said, happened many times at the end of a journey, before meals. As a church this morning, I want to tell you that the first thing that Jesus does when He gets an opportunity to work in our lives is He cleanses us. This is how we are established in the community of God. Remember, Jesus said that unless I wash you, you have no part in me. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 reads, But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses or purifies us from all sin. Jesus cleanses us, He washes us by His Word, and He calls us to follow His example. Jesus said in verse 8, Unless I wash you, you have no part in Me. It takes great humility to allow people into your life to serve you to care for you, to love you. Maybe you know someone in that condition where maybe their insecurities are preventing other people from helping them. They don't want to accept help. They don't want to accept care. They don't want to accept love. They don't want to admit that they're in need. We weren't meant to live this life and this walk following Christ on our own. We weren't meant to be lone rangers. We were meant to be part of a community, a caring and loving community of faith where we serve each other. Don't be afraid to say that you need help. We all need help from time to time. We all need care. We all need love. This is how God designed it. Like I said, it takes great humility to allow people into your life to serve you, to care for you, to love you. All of us need the Lord. And I think that's maybe one of the main reasons why people have a difficult time accepting Jesus because they see it as a crutch and they don't want to admit their need for a Savior. But all of us need the Lord. Many who are riddled with pride manifesting itself in insecurity, fail to admit their need for Him and for others. Let it be our prayer this morning that says, I'm not too proud to say I need You, Lord. None of us are perfect. And although Jesus has broken the power of sin off of our lives, we still fail from time to time. And what that means is that we still need to ask for forgiveness from time to time for the sins that we commit Remember Peter went to Jesus and he goes, well, Lord, if that's the case, then wash all of me. Not just my feet, but my head and my hands too. And Jesus said, those who have taken a bath are already clean. They just need to wash their feet. If you're a Christian this morning, Jesus has broken the power of sin over your life. It's no longer your identity. But the human nature still, from time to time, causes us to fail and sin. We still have to have the Master wash our feet. We still need God to cleanse us every day from things that happen. We're not perfect, and we need to be open enough 
to humility and to humble ourselves and to recognize our need for Him. Jesus says that He took off His outer garment. Actually, the Jews uh, at that time had three layers of clothing. They had an outer garment. Then He had His linen long robe that He had. And under that was basically just underwear. I'm not going to do that today. Okay? <laughs> Maybe just in contemporary equivalent, I'll just roll up the sleeves. But it's just to give you a picture of what Jesus did. He exposed himself and humbled himself. And as I move to wash the feet of our leadership team this morning, just remember what Jesus has done for each of us and prayerfully listen to the words of this song this morning. Savior, servant, must show them how through the will of the water and tenderness of the town. And the call is to community, the impoverished power that sets the whole soul free with humility. To take the vow But day after day We must take up the basin And the towel In any ordinary place
Listen and tell. came to me once when I was um, just heading to a young adult event downtown. And I was approached on the street and someone had asked me for money. You know, it happens many times. Uh, when we head downtown, it seems like there's one on every corner uh, that are at least one who are asking for change. And oftentimes I would say, try to say something, you know, funny or Something maybe even helpful, like you're looking for change, but only Jesus can change you. But this time I, I had spent time worshiping God on the metro and, and I was composing a song. And I was just singing it to myself and as I exited the metro, there was this person who was asking for money, came right up to me, stopped me and asked me. It wasn't just off to the side, but really came up to me. And at that point, I had just the peace of God that had, had come over me in that moment. I reached into my wallet without hesitation, and I gave him whatever I had. It wasn't very much. But I realized something. I realized in that moment that I really was a child of God. Because my identity had nothing to do with the resources I had, the money that was in my wallet, had everything to do with my relationship with God. And because of that understanding, I was free to live life with an open hand. I was free to give that person all that I had simply because I understood who I really was. You see, my father is a great king. My father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns it all the whole world and the fullness thereof. It says He'll impart to us everything we need to live a life of godliness and truth. In First Peter, it says also in Ephesians that uh, He's able to do more than we can ever ask, imagine, or think. This is our Father. 
He has all that we need. Sure, I can give to you. I can just go ask my dad. My dad supplies all my needs. I don't know if maybe you're in a situation this morning where you need God's supply. Don't be afraid. Don't be insecure. But understand who you truly are. God says He knows the very days of your life. And all of the hairs on your head are numbered. And how much God loves to you. Let me tell you that God provisioned the assets of heaven. The greatest prize of heaven was already given to you in the person of the Son of God in the life of Jesus. If God has already given us His Son, do you think there's anything that God would withhold from you? talks about earthly fathers in the Gospel of Matthew and it says, you being evil know how to give good gifts. You being earthly know how to give your children good things. How much more will your Heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit? He's provided all that we need. And we're thankful for that. As Jonathan continues to play and the men will bring their chairs down as we prepare for communion, I want to have prayer. Father, this morning, Lord, you've reminded us this morning of who we are in you. You've reminded us this morning of our true identity. For all of us here who face insecurities, who get ahead of you, who rush into things and rush out of things, God, for us this morning, we're asking that you would Just reassure us with your love. Reassure us in our identity, in you. Remind us, Lord, once again, that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, so that we can turn and serve, so that we can turn and declare the works of our Lord, the gospel of Jesus Christ that brings people from darkness into the kingdom of His Son. to be insecure anymore. We can be free from those shackles this morning. We can be free from trying to find our identity in materialism, trying to find our identity in what we do, trying to find our identity in who we associate with or what kind of house or what kind of car we have, or even the way we look. God, none of those things compare to being called your child. Lord, as we are your children, we're part of the royal family. Help us to take that identity and help us to be encouraged to serve one another, to give to one another, to love one another, to be involved in church. Let us understand that there's no place that's beneath us. Because we're not defined by the task that is given to us. We're defined by who we are and who you've made us to be. Lord, you took the lowest place of the sermon. And it says in your word in the closing verse of that passage that no servant is greater than their master.